So this is the second message in our series called God is with us. The first week we talked about God is with us in our brokenness. And if you were not able to listen to that, I just encourage you to go to the podcast and listen to that because it's a good way to start the Advent season and just to be thinking about Jesus and everything he's done for us. Today we're going to talk about God being with us in our family's brokenness. Next week in the world's brokenness. Um, the following week in our singing, I mean, we do so much singing around this time of the year. We're going to talk about what that means for God to be with us in our singing. And finally, on Christmas Eve, we'll, it will all culminate in God with us to save us. And so I'm going to read the scripture to start. It's Genesis chapter 3, verses 15. If you want, you can turn there or you can, I believe it will be on the screen. If not, it's somewhere in your Bible. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we're going to focus on that scripture today, but I just want to start with this. Christmas is a joyful time, but it also can be a very stressful time. It's a joyful time because we get to be with our family, but it's also a stressful time because we get to be with our family. Am I preaching truth right now? We're thrown into situations where we get to be with our loved ones, but at the same time, sometimes past hurts come up. Our own inadequacies come up. Our imperfections come up. Um, And we're called to Christmas parties and Christmas celebrations and family gatherings. And we sometimes more this time of the year feel our family's brokenness more than ever. So today I hope this message helps us think and walk in the grace of God towards our families so we understand that God is with us even in our family's brokenness so we can navigate that space well and love our families well and feel the grace of God even on ourselves today. So that's really the goal of what we're trying to do because Christmas gatherings are not always a hallmark movie. (laughs) Christmas family times are not always a hallmark movie. You know, sometimes they're more like a horror movie. When the the dramatic folks start gathering around, you just don't know what's going to go down. And so I want us to talk about us as followers of Jesus. How do we get into that space and offer grace and love and be encouragers and find grace for ourselves and our family's brokenness? So we're going to focus on three things. I want to talk about the origin of our family's brokenness and the origin of God's call that he's going to restore our family's brokenness. I want to talk about how God is with us in our family's brokenness to cover us with his grace. And God is with us in our family's brokenness to really restore our families. And we're going to focus on those three things to allow the gospel to permeate our hearts and minds. So the beginning, we just read Genesis 3.15. And I might not even pronounce this right. But the big theological word is the proto-evangelium. Okay. You can check it, it's probably wrong. I got an accent anyway, so it, it drifts. It's the, that means the first proclamation of the gospel. The first proclamation of the good news. And I want to give you the backdrop here. In Genesis 3, man has just been part of what they call the fall. Man was made in the perfect image of God to be in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with his family, and perfect relationship with his environment, and perfect relationship with himself, right? So we got 
the theological, the sociological, we've got the environmental, and you've got the psychological, all in there. Man was made to be in harmony with all those things. But what happens is man chooses to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He actually falls prey to the deception of Satan, which Satan says, you don't have to just be a worshiper of God. You can be God. You don't have to have what is good and evil dictated to you. You can make a decision what's good and evil yourself. These are the lies of Satan. I can be my own God. I can walk in my own path that the things God has told me are not really good for me. There's something better, and God is trying to keep something from me. That's what the satanic does, and Satan has some success. He actually deceives Adam and Eve into believing these lies, and they act these lies out, and then sin enters the family. Sin enters the family. You know why our families are separated? You know why our families gossip? You know why our families argue and our families compete? It's because of sin. Those are all acts of the flesh. One once sin entered, you had things happen like Adam and Eve had children and Cain was jealous of Abel, so Cain murdered Abel. And you see the destruction of sin in families start. You really see the origin of the brokenness of families is because of sin. When people choose sin, families begin to fall apart. And this happens at the very beginning. Adam and Eve choose to rebel rebel against their father, and sin enters, and with sin enters destruction. And so where we come in, in Genesis 3.15, we come in where God is pronouncing consequences for their sin on Adam, on Eve, and on Satan. In Genesis 3.15, it's right on Satan. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. You will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. So God is proclaiming, Satan, you don't have the last word. I'm sending one who's going to crush your head. Okay? The seed of a woman, he will come, and you will not have the final say. There will not, sin will not have the final say. Families will not be ultimately broken. I'm sending someone who will save us from our sin and from our brokenness. So I want to start here. We've introduced a character that maybe many of us have heard of, Satan, right? Maybe you've developed your theology of of Satan from Hollywood movies, right? But I want to tell you the Satanic is not Hollywood. It's actually the Satanic, Satan is a person, okay? Very logical, very rational, and revealed in the scripture. He was a person created by God. A heavenly creature, divine creature, you might understand him as a fallen angel, but he is a person who's introduced into the biblical narrative, and he begins to break down people through sin. Now, to understand what Satan was trying to do here is to understand who he is as a person, meaning he was a created divine being who was not content with just worshiping God. He wanted to be like God and above God, so his pride caused him to be elevated, and he rebelled against God. Many theologians would argue the root of every sin is pride. 
So he said, I'm not okay with who God's made me, has made me. I want to be God. I want to be him. I want to say what's right and wrong. I want to be worshipped. Okay? And you will notice that, well, just stay here for a second. He gets cast out of heaven because he rebelled, but he convinces other divine creatures to rebel also. And somehow this is mysterious, guys, real in the Bible. Obviously, divine creatures are angels that you will understand them. They have some sort of free will also. So they decide to rebel against God. What does he convince Adam and Eve to do in the garden? The same thing that he did. To rebel against God, not content with being worshiper of God, but wants to be God and dictate his own life and say what is right and wrong and walk in his own destructive path. So I need us to see here that Satan is a person. And to walk in the satanic, this is a big scary word, right? We need to break it down simpler to say to walk... What is satanic is to rebel like Satan and to be our own gods. And anyone who is acting in those manner is following in the path of Satan, if that makes sense. The seed of the serpent. And I want to give you an example. Because when the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, you're uttering blasphemies. You're saying you're the son of God. He's, they're accusing him. They're plotting against him. What does he say to those Pharisees? He says, you don't know God because if God was your father, you would see who I am because to see me is to see the father. To see Jesus and who he is, the son of God, the savior word, is to see God. You can't separate God the father and God the son. They are one. He looks at him and says, your father is Satan. Heavy words to like the religious leaders. Think about the pastors today. And Jesus rolls up and says, you have nothing to do with me. You're claiming to be of me, but your father is Satan. That, that, that disperses the crowd a little, no? Right? What he's saying is, you're walking in the same path as Satan, that you're rebelling against me. You're teaching the rules of man as if they're the rules of God. And you're claiming to follow me and that God is your father, but your father's really Satan because you're following that rebellious path. Does that make sense, guys? Just trying to break down a little bit so we take the Hollywood out of it and put the tragic, logical, powerful, faith-filled reason into it and just some good, healthy, biblical theology. So Satan comes on the scene. He convinces Adam and Eve that their father is trying to keep something good from them by not allowing them from eating from the knowledge of the tree and good and evil. Secondly, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Now, we need to understand this as we unpack this sermon. Enmity, understand this. Someone between, so Satan would not have power of the woman and her seed. God was going to send someone with kind of a, think of it, a holy hostility to get in between and say, you cannot have power over men and women. They're made in my image. I love them. You are not having the final say. Someone who will come will put enmity, who will have a holy hostility, who will fight back against the works of Satan. Make sense, guys? Thirdly, in this first proclamation of the gospel, that this hero, this savior, this Messiah would bruise the head of Satan, even though you were bruised his heel. And for those who are thinking theologically through that, you see that Jesus' heel is bruised on the cross, that Satan looks like he has a victory, right? But ultimately, Jesus would be victorious, and we'll unpack that. So that's the origin of family's brokenness is sin. We have to see that. Our family breaks apart because of selfishness, because of hate, 
because of rivalries, because we love things of the world rather than things of God. Our family breaks apart because of sin. But we also see in the midst of that sin that God says, Satan and sin, you're not having the final say. I'm going to send someone who's going to be have holy hostility and crush your head. And I will save my people. This is very important because this is what we celebrate on Christmas. God with us, even in our family's brokenness. That this is the Savior. When we see that baby, when we have those Christmas cards, when we watch those movies, the reason we're celebrating the Savior is because he's the one who was prophesied the first ever proclamation of the gospel in Genesis 3 when man fell. There's one who's coming who's going to crush the head of Satan and restore our family so brokenness will not have the last say. I love the Bible. That's good truth, right? Getting excited up here. I almost kicked the pulpit a little bit. Secondly, God is with us in our family's brokenness to cover us with his grace. So right after the fall, what do you see happen? Adam and Eve tried to hide. You know what happens when people sin against us and we sin against people? We try to get off the scene. We want to hide. Where's he been? I haven't seen him about 19 weeks. Out there sinning. Out there sinning. You don't like Netflix that much. We know what's going on. I'm only kidding. I hope that wasn't too hostile. But what happens is Adam and Eve, they sin and they experience something that they've never experienced before. They feel guilt. And they feel shame. And they feel all those consequences of sin we feel when we violate the laws of God, and they want to cover themselves. So they make fig leaves, they try to cover themselves, they try to hide. God kind of walks along with the narrative and says, Adam, where are you? I'm looking for you. And he asks him, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? We hide when we've been sinned against and when we sin against others. And we try to cover ourselves with other things, whether it's self-righteousness or shiny things or distractions. We want to cover ourselves so people can't see what's really going on when our hearts aren't submitted to the beautiful commands of God, right? But what I want you to see here is this story can seem so gloomy if you don't see the grace of God shine right through into this, because what God does right here in Genesis 3, we might have missed. You might have missed this, because I missed it until a few years ago. I'm just going to read from Genesis 3, 20. 3, verse 20 and 21. Genesis 3, verse 20 and 21. It said, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What just happened there? In the middle of the great sin with great consequences where they were trying to hide, God makes a sacrifice and makes them a coat of grace. And he covers their shame and their guilt with that sacrifice of blood because the wages of sin are death. And all of a sudden, they're walking around these coats of grace. God was still with them. He's still with us in even our most sinful times. Can you believe that? If you really look in the Old Testament, you don't see a, a, a wrathful, irritable God. You see a God crying out with grace, come back to me. I want to cover you with my grace. And the pure of heart will see that. The pure of heart will see that. That even in that horrible de devastation, that God says, no, 
Satan and sin are not having the final say. My family is not being taken away from me. I'm going to cover them with these coats of grace. Is that powerful? We see the first sacrifice that would start getting us ready for Jesus, and it would speak something powerful to Adam and Eve, that even in our sin, this God, Yahweh, was with us to cover us with his grace. Now, I don't know if you argue in your marriage. If you don't, you're lying. But I don't know, this could be a big argument when your decisions lead to the fall of humanity and you're kicked out of a perfect paradise. You basically got perfect weather, you got perfect animals, you're naming them, the fruit is beautiful. You probably have a thousand trees, but you know how sin goes. There's one tree I can't eat from that looks better than the rest. So all of a sudden, I got to walk up this tree. We got to have a conversation. It goes too far. Next, time, next thing we know, the doors are shut, the angel covers, we're out toiling and working and Adam and Adam gets his own consequences he's got to work the ground and toil harder and Eve gets her own consequences uh, consequences she is pain in childbirth and all the women say that is a bad consequence I know I was there breathing wrong like breathe with me I'm breathing wrong poor Natalie so we see the wages of these sin all of a sudden start affecting them if there's ever a marriage could fall apart or argue or have a blowout, this is when you have the blowout, right? I know, I think back to, you know, me and Natalie are real holy, but we have arguments once in a while. No, we, we are sinners who have arguments, who need to repent to each other, but the grace of God covers us, and it's a beautiful and powerful thing. But one night, I remember, we were at the Mandarin, and Natalie's okay with me telling this. At least you were okay four years ago when I told this story, so I'm carrying that over. So we ate at the Mandarin, and after we're coming back to our exit, it's only an exit or two away, and this traffic, I don't know if there's a road work or something like that, so for some reason when Natalie's in traffic, neurons start going different places, the world is not right, and I would say she's not at rest. So I can see the exit. I see exit 42. That's my exit right there. I'm looking at it, but we're in traffic. She keeps saying to me, just get in the breakdown lane. Go on exit. Just get in the breakdown lane. Now, I'm a rule follower. I, my, high for me is like I go 38 miles an hour in a 55. I've been pulled over twice for driving too slow. This is real life. So she's saying, go. And I'm saying, Natalie, don't do this again because this is what we go do. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get me stressed out on this traffic. Don't, I, I don't want to walk this path. But finally, I broke. I didn't lead well. I broke. I banged into the breakdown lane, so I taking a woo, and I said, you've got to be the anger I felt, the shame she felt. She tried to hide and cover herself, and then I'm sitting just waiting there. I broke the rules. I deserved the ticket. Date night, got it budgeted, and all of a sudden, I got a nice little gift of a $300 ticket going home. Needless to say, it wasn't the best date night we ever had. An argument ensued. But I bring that up to think about the potential for Adam and Eve not to stay together in their marital bond after that was at its height. But I say this because of this. I think part of what, because when we think about the fall, we think about how God was separated from man. Many times we don't think about how man was separated from each other, how families broke. Okay? I think part of the reason 
that they stayed together and fought for each other and with each other is because they looked at each other and they saw those coats of grace on each other. And it said to them, God is still with us as a family, even in our brokenness. And this is one of the keys to loving our families and our families loving us in our brokenness. Because when we see our family with those coats of grace and they see us with those coats of grace, we're able to love them through their brokenness. Is your spouse, do you look at them and see guilt and see shame and see brokenness and you can't even deal with them? Can I ask you in the power of the gospel to see them with a coat of grace? And that will help you love your spouse through their brokenness. Are you a parent whose child is struggling with drug addiction or alcohol abuse? And when you see them, you see guilt and shame and brokenness. I want to ask you to see them with a coat of grace on, and that will help you love them through their brokenness. Are you a child who you see your parents? And when you see your parents, all you see is their guilt, their shame, and their brokenness. And it irritates you, and you don't want anything. You you don't even want to look at them because you're ashamed of them. I want to ask you to see them with a coat of grace, and that will help you love your parents through their brokenness. This is very important. Grace is the only way that any family relationship will matter because we need coats of grace because we are imperfect sinners who fall short of the glory of God. It's the only way. So I want to really get to the heart of the first proclamation of the gospel because this is why we can forgive. Like, just to say you should forgive or say you should see people with coats of grace, if Christ did not die for our sins, then we do not have to forgive. We can just allow people to still build up debt that we can use against them. They did this to me, and they did that to me, and they did this to me, and they did that to me, and they did this to me, and it gets, it gets to the point where it's just broken, and you can't even look at people anymore or deal with people anymore. That's debt theology. But the gospel is about grace theology, and the reason we should and can forgive people is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus actually did crush the head of Satan. And it has no power over us. Every time we don't forgive, we're giving our flesh and the enemy power over our life to dictate certain things. That word bruise, and I'm coming back here, that word means in the Hebrew to overwhelm, to overwhelm. God was saying, I'm sending someone who's going to overwhelm you, Satan. You will bruise his heel, but he will overwhelm you. You know, I was watching a thing on YouTube where there was these two kind of smaller dudes that knew martial arts. And there was a 6'5", huge dude, about 320 pounds, who knew how to crush little dudes. And you saw the dudes warming up like they were going to cooperate, like they were like just working, like they're going to chop them down, right? And I'm saying, what's going to happen? The crowd started gathering. And this dude just walking around in a tank top, because when you're 6'5", 320, you have to wear a tank top. Might as well take advantage of the situation, right? So I didn't know what's going down, because I have little man syndrome, so somehow I think I can beat someone who's 6'5", 320. I don't want to find out I'm 40. I think I'm past my prime. Let's let that go, right? And so these two dudes start running at this dude. And I wasn't ready. I thought he was going to, like... I wasn't ready for what happened. Like, he threw one punch, and one dude was just like, like, he was legit. Like, like he just died. He's dead. 
And another dude said, I'm going to approach it differently. And he just like picked him up. It was just like he was a stuffed animal just like this, just standing over him. I was like, what just happened? They were just crushed. They were no match. They got like a kick or two in. They like hit it, but it was just a mauling. And the reason I tell you that story is because many times, and we talked about this in our, our, one of our, our groups on Thursday because we are talking about this part in the book we're going through, we oftentimes adopt the idea of dualism, right? That's the Eastern philosophy that good is against evil, and they're like equal, and they're battling each other. Jesus didn't come to bring balance to the force. He came to crush Satan. This ain't a match. This is an absolute crushing. This ain't equal to going back and forth. This is like Jesus, like stomp okay we need to know that to walk in the victory because the power of that was absolutely overwhelming you know psychologists call the tragic triad is pain guilt and death so it's pain with how people have sinned against us okay pain is how people have sinned against us guilt is how we have sinned against god and feel that guilt and death is one of our greatest rivals meaning we all will face death what Jesus does on the cross is he absolutely crushes the power that those people may have over us when they sin against us because we forgive them because of the power of the gospel. Amen? We do not allow people to be unforgiven by us because of the love Christ has for us. We pray for our enemies. We love our enemies. We bless those who curse us. We, we, we go the extra mile for those who spitefully use us. That's the power of Christ. So all of a sudden, the gospel says, I can live like that because I can forgive. Unforgiveness has claimed too many souls. But the power of the gospel allows me to forgive and be free. Amen? Guilt. Jesus crushes guilt. Many of us today are dealing with guilt because we're sinners. Do you know that you will always fall short of the glory of God even on your best week? You know when you get those good runs and you're like, I knew it, dude, I'm real holy now. It's happened. Am I shining a little bit? And then all of a sudden you're back like, what just happened? I just yelled at them, 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 and I just kicked the car, and here I am, I'm a sinner again. Right? And it goes even deeper than that sometimes, as some of us feel the condemnation that comes with being a sinner that falls short of the glory of God regularly. But let me tell you what Romans 8, 1 says in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are absolutely set free. When God looks at you, he sees an absolute treasure with no sin, washed clean, loved eternally, a treasure of God, and you are not tainted. You are not dirty. You are not unlovable. You have not sinned yourself out of the loving hands of your Father. There is no guilt that you need to walk around with because Christ bore it on the cross. That's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. No more mind torture. No more. The gospel declares no more. That's crushed. How about death? Don't threaten me with a good time. That's what Paul said, basically, in Boston's language, don't threaten me with a good time. Death has no sting. He's basically saying, I'm going all out for Jesus, and if I die, I'm going to see my Savior's face. How can I be afraid of that? What? That's overwhelming. Do you see what that does? That deems Satan powerless. 
Because those are the only tools he has. He can only deceive us to think that we've been sinned against so much that we can't forgive so it keeps us in bondage. He can only deceive us to think that the cross wasn't powerful enough for us to be forgiven so we have to live in our guilt. He can only deceive us that this life is only just by chance anyways and dying, that's it, you're in the dust. He can use all those things, but the gospel disarms Satan and leaves him powerless. It overwhelms him. It's overwhelming. The gospel is absolutely overwhelming. It's too powerful. It's absolutely too powerful. What can you put up against it? Jesus is matchless. He's matchless. There's nothing in this world. The gr- greater is the power that is in you than that's in the world. Like there's nothing. I want you guys to hear that today. That's, that's why we can love our families. Because of the power of the gospel. Because Jesus really did crush the head of Satan. I want to give you two caveats here. As we get towards the conclusion of this sermon. The first one is I need people to hear this that there are rare occasions where you need to set boundaries in your family. Okay? There are rare occasions where you need to say enough is enough and someone because of their unrepentant sin can no longer be part of your family because it's dangerous. Because it's dangerous. So, if you're a person who's in an abusive marriage and you're being abused, you do not have to stay in that abusive relationship. If the person, yeah, if if you're in an abusive marriage, you do not have to stay in that relationship. There is a time to move on with forgiveness, to move on with grace, and to move on with decisiveness. Too many abusive and manipulative people have used the Bible to control people rather than to set them free and left them in abusive situations. So I need you to hear this as your pastor because I, I wish someone had the courage to say that in a church setting when I was younger. Secondly, are you a parent whose child is abusing drugs and abusing alcohol? and they're unrepentant, and they're dangerous, and they're causing chaos, and it's unhealthy, you can draw the line in love. Ask them to move out of your house, stop paying your bills, and ask them to move on for your life. Maybe that's not someone in here. Maybe it's someone listening online, but that's important for people to know. Sometimes a set of boundaries is the most loving thing you can ever do for the good of the person, too, for the good of the person. Are you a person whose parents are sinful and unrepentant towards you and they've manipulated you all your life and it's wreaking havoc? You can move on with forgiveness, with grace, and with prayer. See, that's the key. Even when we set boundaries, it doesn't mean we don't love people. I pray for some people that I've had to move on in my life more than I pray for many people. And I love them more than I've ever loved them. But Jesus set boundaries Sometimes you have to set boundaries or it will destroy your family. Does that make sense, guys? That's an important caveat. It's in rare occasions, but it's important to think through those things. And finally, this is something that enemy uses a lot. You're a horrible family member. You're horrible. 
You're a father, you're horrible. You're a mom, why are you wasting your time? You're a kid, you're punished. Right? None of us have been a perfect husband. None of us have been a perfect wife. None of us have been a perfect father. None of us have been a perfect mother, son, daughter, brother, sister. It has not happened in the history of the world except for Jesus. He was perfect everything. We all fall short. And I, I want to speak this to you. To the moms who feel like you are hurting your child's development more than you are helping your child's development, that's an absolute lie. You received the code of grace and a conquering savior. Your kid is so much better off because you're their mom. They love you, they cherish you, and you're God's gift to your children, as imperfect as you are. Amen? To the dads that think your wife could have done better and got a husband that made a little bit more money, you're right. <laughs> Messing around. God's put you in the family you're in to love and lead your family and fight for your family. Be a dad to your kids. And your wife is better off because she has someone who's been chosen by God to become like the Christ. When I say become like Jesus, I mean become more holy and loving and patient and gentle and really lay down his life. What did Jesus do for his bride? He laid down his life for her. Right? Husbands, you're doing a great job. Keep fighting. Allow Jesus to humble you and give everything for your family. Leave everything on the field. Leave everything on the field. Because no greater love has anyone than they lay down their life for their family or friends. It's the most important thing we can do. To the son or daughter who feels that their parents are let down because of who they are and the choices they made and they feel like they can't live up to their parents' expectations, it's a lie. Your parents are so grateful for you and they love you more than you may even know. Even if they don't know how to express it. Even if they sometimes don't see it, I want to tell you that you have a heavenly father that is so pleased with you and loves you as a son and daughter of God and sees you with the coat of grace that he provided for you. This is the truth of the gospel and it destroys the lies of Satan. It crushes his head with every blow. Jesus was the seed of the woman we were waiting for. God is with us to heal our families, to restore our families, so we all see each other with the coats of grace that Jesus Christ provided for us. God is for us. He is with us. And just remember that this Christmas season. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the gospel rings true in our hearts that we feel this wonderful grace and love you have for us as a family. Lord, would you help us to forgive those family members we need to forgive? Help us to trust your cross and your resurrection for the forgiveness of our own sins. That we Let this be a season, this Christmas season, that we no longer carry the guilt of our past. And Lord, I pray for us that maybe fear death or fear the death of our loved ones. That we would see the power of the gospel, that you even defeated death. And that this family, all the families who are in you, in you who believe you, who trust in you, that we will be together forever because of the work of your gospel. 
We just trust these words. We trust your gospel. Amen.